We are called to be colonizers. That is, that is what we are supposed to do. Today is Thursday, September 7th, 2023, time for episode 195 of the Barnhart Podcast. No help from Dr. Mazza opening the show today. Don't need that. Thank you very much for doing that last time, Doc. Um, much to the um, <laughs> much the surprise and laughter of Ann and, and uh, Nurse Claire on that one. Um, now you understand why I was saying, let's just go ahead and record. Let's just go ahead and record. I've already got this in the can. I don't want to waste it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kept I kept trying to wave him off and say, man, you're sick. I mean, if if you're not up to it, let's not do this. But he uh, he and Dr. Mazza had, had uh, sneakily gone behind my back and and recorded that that show opening, which was awesome. Well done, well done. Yeah, and as far as uh, what I was sick with, I had initially a, a flu, so I was out for a couple of days with that, and then I I was still let's see where was it? This was a week after this almost. I still had uh, what I was referring to as coughing up horse glue, although it wasn't quite that bad. But uh, I, I just wasn't getting over it, and we went ahead and recorded that show. I tried to sleep as much as possible the, the following weekend, which is why the show didn't get out till Monday. And then finally Monday, I could not figure out why I wasn't getting over this. So I went to see a doctor. Hey, I got pneumonia. So I went from having a flu to pneumonia and I've got a cold. <laughs> so I, I have never had a back to back to back like this, but uh, I, I've been hitting it uh, ever, ever since I got done with the uh, antibiotics and the, um, the steroid that I was given for relaxing my lungs so I could actually breathe or, and sleep at night. Because that was that was the problem during the week before when I, before I was diagnosed with with uh, pneumonia, as I was coughing so much that I could not get sleep at night, and so between just not getting over that and not being able to get rest, that's what allowed it to develop in the pneumonia. But uh, now that I'm off of all the antibiotics, I can start boosting all over again on C, D, vitamin K, zinc sulfate, uh, resveratrol. What's the other one hiding back here? NAC, and of course. Um, I almost said remdesivir. No, it's not remdesivir. It's it's uh, no, hy- it's not remdesivir. Hy- no. <laughs> hydroxychloroquine, which um, I'm I'm glad I had a, had some of that on hand. And uh, if you if you want or need hydroxychloroquine or the ivermectin pills, which are way more expensive than than getting the um, just the bovine solution at, at Tractor yep. Supply or your, or your equivalent. But if you really want the pills, send an email to email at supernerdmedia.com, and I will put you in touch with somebody who's in the United States who can forward this to you. Uh, or, or who can provide that with you if you are not wanting to go directly to the overseas sources for this. So uh, that, I definitely want to say. But thing. understand there's there's massive price gouging going on. So you're going to pay. This guy's, this guy's giving you a fair price. He's not charging you $6 a pill. Oh, good. Okay. Right no, on. It's, it's, it's very reasonable. Good, good. You know, I'm sitting here listening to you, listening to you recount this, and it just struck me that people had we're sick in, you know, 2020, 2021, with exactly what you had, had had a cold, it got nasty, developed into some pneumonia. And, you know, all they needed was exactly the kind of, of normal treatment that you just said, you know, some antibiotics, some steroids, plenty of sleep, and, and get over it. And these people presented themselves at uh, emergency rooms, and they were murdered. They had exactly what you had. They were sick in exactly the way that you were sick. They walked into an emergency room, and those bastards murdered those people. They said, you, ha- you have COVID. You're going to die. We have to put you on a ventilator right now. And they killed them. And it's just, 
it's really, really sobering when you realize what was going on. And that was in New York, there's anecdotal evidence that that from nurses who were brought in on the contract basis, that there were pers people presenting in emergency rooms, not even as sick as you were, not even with the flu or anything, just clearly suffering from anxiety from sitting in front of a TV and they murdered them. They, they killed them by ventilator. Never forget friends, never forget, let it remain like 9-11, let it remain evergreen and someday justice, justice will be done. Maybe not in this world, but yeah, that, that, that's a good yeah. reminder. I, I hadn't quite thought of it that way, but you're right. Had this been uh, 2020, 2021, and if I'd gone to a hospital with exactly that, who knows what would have happened? They'd, they'd they, would probably... have, they would have forcibly forced you into the hospital. They would have cut you off from your wife and family. And then they probably would have given you first a course of remdesivir because that boosted the, the payout and the reimbursement that they got. Um, so there you've got fried liver and kidneys if you survive them um, snorkeling you. And you probably wouldn't. They were, they were so heavily incentivized and probably still are. I don't, I don't know if those financial incentives are still in place, but it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars per human being that left the hospital in a box. And maximum payout came if they gave them a full course of remdesivir and then killed them with a, with a ventilator. Um, so, yeah, it's thank, thank God that you're sick in the 2023 and not in the 2020. Thank God that non-Venny Mark survived the hospital when he was in the hospital. Um, it's, um, again never forget because there it looks like they're kind of halfway trying to maybe start to reboot it again as nurse claire and i talked about on the last episode never ever ever forget what they did never let this just fade into oopsie well that that was a few years ago now now we can all move on this was it was the it was and continues to be the greatest crime against humanity that's ever been perpetrated and we're, we're only at the beginning of it because the sterilization and the damage that's been done to the entire human race. I mean, they're, they are executing their human population reduction plan and they're being successful at it and people don't realize it. And I think a lot of people don't care. Uh, it's very, very popular, even amongst so-called conservatives to make this declaration that there aren't that there are too many people there are too many human beings on this planet there's too many people nothing could be further from the truth one of the big problems with the world is that there aren't enough people god clearly desires more human beings he desires more so that more can be in the beatific vision um, and humanity has decided to become god and say no too many, too many people. Well, that's for God to decide, not us. And the propaganda about the world not being able to to carry and feed eight billion people. Oh, that's that's absolutely ridiculous. The we haven't even we haven't even touched or tapped the potential of this planet to to feed and provide for everybody. The only starvation that occurs on this planet occurs because of corrupt governments. It's not because of any lack of an ability to produce enough food. And just one quick little, I need to write this up. I've been meaning to write this up forever. One quick little tangent I just want to hit 
while I'm on this and while I'm thinking of it, all this talk about, you know, global warming, all environmentalism, all of that is all conceived and every single bit of it at its root is a front for human population reduction, for mass global genocide. Um, and they keep talking about, you know, oh, the, the, the earth is warming, the earth is warming, the earth is warming. The old timer who taught me the cattle business made a very, very, very good point over 15 years ago. And he said, you know what? They keep talking about this, about the earth getting warmer and, you know, the average temperature going up one and a half or, or two degrees or something like that. And he said, no one is ever asking the question of whether or not having the global temperature, even if, if you accept the premise that the global temperature is, is upticking, which, which we don't, we don't, but for the sake of argument, just for the sake of argument, let's say that it is. No one is asking the question as to whether or not this is a net negative or a net positive. Has it ever, has it ever occurred to you that maybe bringing a half a degree of northern latitude or a degree of northern latitude across the top swath of Canada, all the way across that top swath of Russia, all the way across and all the way across northern Europe, has it ever occurred to you that maybe that would be a net benefit? More arable cropland, increased food production, more efficient food production, ratcheting everything north by like one degree, how much land that would open up for production and what and it, it, it isn't even contemplated whether or not having the temperature slightly uptick. If you grant for the sake of argument that that's even happening, which I don't think it is, but is it a, is it a negative or a positive? Everybody just takes it for granted that it's a negative. Have you ever stopped to consider that it's not a negative, that it would be a positive? You have to answer that question first. And that question is never even asked. I mean, there's, you know, there've been um, warm spells in which they were producing wine in the United Kingdom or in, in, in Britain. Um, all kinds of things like that, all kinds of differences in, in opening up crop production and so forth. Nobody's asking. Nobody's asking. The other thing it would do, especially in North America, if you could bump everything north just slightly, you would take a lot of the burden off of all of the irrigation that has to be done in the more southern areas of North of North America. It's all dependent upon irrigation and, you know, draining water out of the out of the big water tables and so forth. What if you could just kick that north a little bit and eliminate a lot of the irrigation that's going on across, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, down into in southern Kansas, if you could just kick everything north a little bit. Stop and think about these things. It, it is it would global warming, we have to put this in the conditional would global warming actually be a net negative to humanity? You know what I suspect I suspect the answer is, is probably no, it would be a net positive. So
Just a little micro rant that I wanted to mention, and yes, I will write that up because it's important to get things in writing so that they go out and populate onto the internet, and it's a lot easier for people to syndicate and copy and paste and send stuff around when it's in writing. Absolutely. And you beat me to the the, the reference about uh, growing wine in England. I remember in high school hearing about that, and it was something where uh, it was pretty reliable prior to the English Reformation that, that um, wine was being grown in England. And the change yeah. in temperature and the fall off in temperature was seen by many as a punishment to England for leaving the church. So Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> I won't argue that point at all. Talking about super high temperatures, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but I do have a couple more items of house cleaning. You mentioned um, posting something on the blog. If you just discovered that episode 194 came out, I'm sorry. Typically when I post the blog posts of for the podcast, I put that in the podcast category. And when I was getting ready for the podcast tonight, I just realized that the episode with Nurse Claire was in the same as just any, any post that Ann puts out. So I, I changed that to podcast. So you may see that two podcasts drop in the next couple of days. That's a lot to listen to, I know. But um, sorry about that. I'll, I'll make sure I get it corrected this time. Um, one note, note I got from somebody who's a big help uh, for my family. And uh, she had a question. This is all the Latin uh, experts or Latin teachers out there. A question for you. Does anybody know of a beginner's Latin course that teaches uh, Latin from the prayers of the mass or takes its vocabulary from the prayers of the mass or teaches its grammars uh, or grammar and sentences from the prayers in the mass? Basically, a Latin course based around the mass. If, if something like that exists, please send an email to super ner- email at supernerdmedia.com so I can pass the, that, that answer along. You, well, Ann, do you know, have any idea about that? Mm, no, no. The beginning Latin stuff, I know there's that, um, what's the name of it? It's, it's, it's a Scandinavian guy who has a very, very famous curriculum, Oberg or Orberg or something like that. Um, I have no clue. I, it, the one I did was all preparation to read Caesar's Gallic Wars. Yeah, no. The the Oberg one is, it's like a, it's a story. It's a continuous story of a family. And it's, um, it's immersion based. The, the pedagogy of it is that the instructor is not supposed to speak any English. It's one of those deals. Um, but it's very famous. It's been very successful. It's a good idea. I suspect more that what it would be is that it wouldn't be, if you're looking at the prayers of the mass, because I think you're kind of jumping into the deep end of the pool grammatically. Um, with studying it in the context of the mass, I think what you would find is just an explanation in Latin of, of the text of the mass and the prayers of the mass. Um, but I don't think, I personally suspect that using, using the mass as an introduction to Latin would be very, very difficult to do. It would be like, teaching English as a second language and starting with, (laughs) I don't know, uh, what would be something, I mean, even more complex than Shakespeare, or maybe, maybe Shakespeare would be, would be an analog. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't start English as a second language courses with, you know, the text of Julius Caesar or, or Romeo and Juliet, it would be, that would be really, really tough as a pedagogical foundation. So I suspect that that does not exist, but I think that there probably is somewhere someone has done an exhaustive in English explanation of the Latin of, of the order of the mass. But one big difference here is that Catholics who want to study Latin based around the mass are going to be exposed to that frequently, 
in the same sense that there are yeah. Italian courses based on learning Italian for the purpose of understanding um, opera, because there is mm -hmm. a, a subset of that language that is used in opera. The, the same words keep coming up over and over, Esperanza and, and, and all kinds of things like that. Um, that's well, that's Spanish. Just, <laughs> it's it's Speranza in Italian. Ha ha ha. Gotcha. <laughs> but opera is very interesting because it uses a lot of the um, the remote past form of verbs. And we don't even have that in English. We don't have a different verb tense, a past tense for things that have happened a long time ago. And oh, you've been reading the Mark Twain uh, essay on Italian verbs, have you? Yes, indeed. Indeed years ago but you know it's it's kind of cool i wish we did have that um but we don't and italian does and in some and in literary italian sometimes they use that form not for things in the remote remote past so and that comes up in opera you see it and so even if you have kind of a level one, barely functioning, rough idea of Italian grammar. Um, if you look at the text of opera, you can be thrown way off because they're just using tenses and verb forms that are, again, it, it would be, it would kind of be analogous to Shakespeare with us. Um, it would, it would be almost cruel to teach, um, English as a second language and be teaching people to speak Shakespearean English. I mean, they would get some very funny looks from people when they went out in the world and tried to speak like that. And I think the same would, would apply if you went out and if you were <laughs> sitting in a restaurant on vacation in, in Italy and were trying to order food and using operatic <laughs> Italian literary forms and, and the the remote past tense and things like that it would be it would be amusing i think <laughs> yeah, but the, the italian for opera lovers uh book that i have it's not so much for you to be able to speak italian in, in, in yeah. any sense or, or of, the, of the words the idea is to um have have the ability to understand it and, and part of that's going to be the vocabulary and to the idea yeah. of learning latin for the purposes of the mass it wouldn't be for to be able to read or write, or, or I'm sorry, it wouldn't be to write or speak in Latin. It would be probably more vocabulary based to the point that if you forgot your mat, forgot your missile, and you just listen to the first few prayers, yeah. it's like, oh, okay, this is the um, yeah, os, os, os Okay, that, that's the mass for for a confessor, and yeah. and uh, being being able to pick it up from there, or being able to identify what the epistle or the gospel is just from hearing the words as opposed to reading it. Uh, that's the the Italian for opera lovers. That was more along those lines. It's not that you're going to be speaking it or even understanding um, an Italian news YouTube channel. It's more for picking up the the, the slow and repeated nature of of opera. It kind of reminds me of, of some of the crypto analysts in the Navy who who were who had studied Russian. Uh, they they could they understood tactical Russian. So what mm -hmm. what, what the Russians would be saying on their tactical channels for, I don't know, telling ships to do whatever it is they're doing or aircraft, mm -hmm. they wouldn't be able to understand TAS or, or Pravda or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, if you find, if you go to mass, if you go to daily mass, it gets to the point and it is where you want to be. And also if you're, if you're praying the office at all, where you want to be and 
what what feels feels good for lack of a better uh, lack of a better phrase is when you get to the point where you don't have to be looking back and forth at the english side and then back to the latin oh what does this mean when when you know exactly what the latin means now can i can i deconstruct the grammar for you oh no absolutely not can could i i don't think i could even independently form a sentence in latin you know from scratch I could repeat, I can repeat things that I know from the mass and from the office, but I can't, I can't formulate, write or, or re, uh, write or speak Latin, I would say at all. But at mass, do, do I know exactly what that text means without any, you know what's interesting, you get to a certain point where your brain isn't even translating it. You just know what it means. You know exactly what those words mean. And I think probably the first thing, the first example of this that happens to people is probably the paternoster, the Our Father. I mean, seriously, if, you're, if you've been praying the rosary and in Latin, does your brain still, as you're saying the paternoster, is it, is it, inside of your head translating every phrase into English for you? Or do you just know what those words in Latin mean? You, and, and it's just internalized. It's the same thing with the last gospel. If you, if you silently recite the last gospel at the end of almost every mass, as we do, um, pretty soon you'll, you'll find that your brain fully comprehends what those words mean and you don't have to you don't have to code switch into English and even internally so I think that's the best place to be and that's why um you know the the infiltrators and I'm convinced that the reason that Pope Benedict did the whole um ordinary form, extraordinary form thing, even though we all know that the Novus Ordo is, is a different rite. We all know that, and Pope Benedict knows that. But he had to do it that way, because if he didn't do it, he knew what the infiltrators would do. The bishops would say, so some priest would come to the bishop and say, okay, I would like to say the old mass. And, and the infiltrator bishop would give the priest a Latin exam that that you know Reggie Foster couldn't have passed and for those of you who are listening and don't know Reggie Foster was the the greatest latin instructor of the latter half of the of the 20th century and the early 21st century he was a troubled man but he was he was the latin he was the latin teacher on the surface of the earth so give a give an exam that Reggie Foster couldn't have passed, and then say, "Oh, sorry, you don't understand Latin, so you can't offer you can't offer the mass in Latin. You have to you have to understand what you're saying." So when we say it's not necessary for a priest to be like fluent in Latin, I mean that's true. He need he needs to be able to read it. He needs to be able to understand what it means, and that's. That is completely possible without being fluent in the language or even being able to speak the language. In fact, anymore, there are very, very, very few people who can actually speak in Latin. There's a few examples of people who can speak Latin on, 
on uh, YouTube. And, and I mean speak, not that jilted, slow, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it seems almost synthetic. People who can speak Latin at the way that I speak English and the way that you speak English, you know, extemporaneously, just completely off the top of their head, orating, um, it's, it's different than the jilted, you know, very academic form of even teachers who really can't speak, speak, speak Latin. There's not many people left who can speak, speak, speak Latin. And there's, there is a movement. It's called the Living Latin Movement. And they're trying to get it back to where people actually can speak Latin, not just know it. And I, I, I hope that the, the listenership is understanding that distinction and that nuance between being able to speak a language and knowing it in the sense of being able to read it and kind of understand it and roughly know where you are. And again, reiterating for a priest, in order for a priest to offer the holy sacrifice of the mass, he doesn't necessarily have to be able to speak Latin. He just has to know, how, first of all, how to, how to read it and how to pronounce it. Although I should, I laugh, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even put that, uh, that qualification on it, the pronunciation, because people, some people would argue, well, that disqualifies all of the French then, because we can't understand anything they say when they're speaking Latin. I was and, just going to say, when I was growing up and serving mass, the, the, the Latin sound from a, from a French priest was just radically different from an American yeah. priest. And it was different again yep. from a Spanish priest and then yep. different again from a German priest. And yes, I got to serve yep. mass for all of those. It, the, you, everyone's going to bring a little bit of their, uh, linguistic style to it. Some of them are, are true linguists and we'll figure out how to say it as correctly as possible. Uh, and you mentioned, uh, the, the, the living Latin movement and people speaking Latin on YouTube as, as well as you do, or as well as I do speak English. And I, I was chuckling thinking, well, I speak English at a hundred miles an hour. Typically I'm, I'm yeah. consciously forcing myself to slow down for the podcast. And sometimes I even succeed at that. But, um, it's it's relative to to the person and i think i know um i may know who you're talking about at least a couple of those channels because i came across those goodness in the last um, month or so and and i forget how in the world i even came across it because i wasn't looking for latin practice or anything like that so pretty wild the best latin speaker i think alive today i'm not going to say his name and i'm not going to send people looking for this because he's actually an atheist and I, and it's, it's not good and I'm not going to recommend him, but he's Italian. He's Italian and he can speak Italian. Excuse me. He can speak Latin the way you and I are sitting here talking to each other. And it, it really is remarkable to hear it. Is that the same guy on YouTube who actually does it in both ecclesiastical Latin and classical Latin? Um, no, I don't think so. And the, I mean, and that's to the, to the, to the point about, um, pronunciation. It is kind of cool in the sense that Latin Latin sounds like whatever the the race of the person or the or the linguistic group of the person who's speaking it is. So Latin spoken by an Italian kind of sort of sounds like an kind of sort of sounds like Italian. And Latin spoken by a Frenchman kind of sort of sounds like French. And Latin spoken by a German kind of sort of sounds like German. It has that, that fascinating morphing quality, um, which I think is probably a feature. However, it also has to be said 
that ecclesiastical Latin has the same pronunciation rules as modern Italian. So if you, if you know modern Italian and you know how to pronounce modern Italian and the vowel sounds in modern Italian and all that, that's what ecclesiastical Latin is supposed to be pronounced as. Now, again, it doesn't, it doesn't work out that way. And the French are the exemplars of that. It, it's, it's astounding, some of them, how literally I'll be, I'll be at mass. And if there, there is a French priest for whatever reason, and I, and like, for example, take, for example, the last gospel. I mean, I, I recite the last gospel silently at the end of every single mass. And it's said at the end of almost every mass during the liturgical year. And you'll hear French priests, you know, reciting, reciting the last gospel. And I'm leaning in and I can't understand what they're saying. I know the words that they're saying. I know exactly the words that they're saying. And it, their, their accent is so thick sometimes that you can't even make out what they're saying. But, you know, it is what it is. And, um, we have we have bigger problems right now in the church than, than getting the French to pronounce things properly. So, there you go. Yeah, there's the right way, the wrong way, and the French way. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking about things going wrong in the church, um, Bergoglio said, "If it's a day that ends in Y, when he's vomiting something sinful from his mouth, but uh, he said some sodomites aren't capable or mature enough to stop sinning." Yeah, wow. And this, this also just... goes along with uh, James Martin uh, analogizing, mm-hmm. coming out like to being uh, analogous to the raising of Lazarus. I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, good uh, grief. I, I don't want to be standing anywhere within five miles of him when he has his, his, uh, his uh, particular judgment because I, I don't want to be like accidentally struck in the process. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm telling you, Martin is going to get a hat. Martin is going to get a hat probably before Bergoglio uh, goes the way of all flesh. Um, it's just the blasphemy, the abject blasphemy. And I still don't understand what people are thinking at this point. You know, you've got, you've got Martin saying things, and again, laying it out so that the listenership knows exactly what we're talking about. Just within the last week, if I'm not mistaken, um, the, I mean, let, let's call a spade a spade. The guy, the guy's a sodomite. The guy is clearly a sodomite. James Martin, Jesuit, um, kind of the pro-sodomy champion, certainly in the English-speaking world, um, and and probably globally too. He's and Bergoglio has made him, you know, a voting member of this um, wretched completely meaningless invalid quote unquote synod thing that they're that they're doing um it has remember folks this has nothing to do with the catholic church nothing nothing bergoglio isn't the pope this has nothing to do with the magisterium um it's it's just all a manifestation of what happens when you don't clean up messes from the beginning when you don't nip things in the bud which is why people like me have been jumping up and down screaming and yelling for well, 2016, I mean, we've all been screaming and yelling since the beginning. I was, I came out in the summer of 2016 and said, there's, Bergoglio isn't the Pope, Benedict never resigned. So what's that now? Seven years. It's been seven years now, jumping up and down, screaming and yelling. Somebody has to do something about this. You don't wait, you don't kick the can down the road, because it just gets worse and worse. The more and more you let things go, the worse and worse and worse it gets. 
it's like, you know, not not treating stage one cancer and then acting surprised when you wake up one morning and you've got stage four cancer. Say, well, what what do you expect? How, How was this a prudent decision? The whole, well, let's just wait for him to die. Well, no, that's that is not how adult male humans need to be operating. You don't sit around and wait, you take care of things. So what James Martin said within the last week is that the raising of Lazarus from the dead is a direct analogy of um, homosexuals, quote unquote, coming out of the closet. I mean, just stop, sit in stillness with that and, and consider the blasphemy, the satanic, luciferian blasphemy of that statement and this guy is just an absolute darling and bergoglio will give him a hat in his in his anti-church um it's it, it nothing could be further from the truth in fact i've i've been in in contact with um a tenured a tenured academic professor in a pontifical university in Rome. And we need to write up, and I'm going to write up in coordination with this person, an essay about how even inside of your own head, saying, I'm gay, is in and of itself gravely, gravely sinful. Because to do that is is you inside your you making the the conscious movement of the will and 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 movement of the intellect to assent to to perverted um disordered sexual attractions assenting to it okay um so this whole movement that well it's it's okay it's okay to have same-sex attractions just as long as you don't as you don't act out on them well no it isn't think about what we say at the confidier you know thought word and deed i've committed sins in thought in word and in deed your thoughts just your thoughts can be gravely sinful and that's what all of this coming out and saying just saying i'm gay that in and of itself is a sin if you say it publicly now you've got the questions of public scandal um all of that you're 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 committing a terrible sin just by even saying that and remember There's no such thing as a homosexual human being. By definition, every human being is heterosexual, full stop. I mean, check check the instruction manual, tab A, slot B. It's the only way it works. There is no such thing as a homosexual. We, that's why we need to stop even using that word. We need to use the word sodomite and sodomy because all there are is people who engage in sodomitical acts or any other species of perverted genital act. You could just simplify it to calling it pervert, pervert or perversion. Perversion, absolutely. Or if you're a really big fan of Dr. Strangelove, it's a prevert. A prevert, <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, um, 
the, the, all of this business and what, what it does and why Satan and why James Martin, who was clearly, clearly satanic, clearly satanic, um, why they keep pushing all this and this coming out and getting people to make these declarations of their perversion publicly is because what it does is in a certain sense is it it kind of locks a person into it if you make some big grandiose announcement that you're a sex pervert um and that you that you define yourself that this is this is the essence of who i am is i define myself as being a sex pervert as being a sodomite what that does internally to the person is that now that they've got this whole idea of of perverted lust and perverted genital acts as being ontologically intrinsic to who they are and so now in their mind psychologically they can't get away from it and nothing could be farther from the truth with sodomy and and these these sins you can get away from it all it is is a behavior it's a bad evil habitual behavior that all you have to do is stop doing it go to the confessional confess it leave it in your past walk away and you're done what all this coming out crap is doing is basically trying to convince people that that simply is not possible and now you've got Bergoglio saying it was was it on the airplane or or was it when he was in Portugal when he said that that so sodomites are not capable not capable of not committing these acts of not sinning what what was what was his quote super nerd oh by the way it was a, not on an airplane it was in Portugal addressing the Jesuits <laughs> there you go oh my gosh talk about Talk about telling people what they want to hear. What did he say? He said some people aren't capable or mature enough to stop sinning. No, nothing could be further from the truth. That's a Luciferian lie. It's a Luciferian lie. I mean, and this goes, it reminds me of all of kind of the soft bigotry of low expectations. And also it reminds me, um, which this is Bergoglio too, this notion that there can't be there can't be the death penalty for anything if you stop and think about that if you read john senior's book the death of christian culture um he and i've put this on the blog use my search function type in john senior and death penalty and i'm sure the essay will come come right up the death penalty is absolutely necessary precisely because it it points to human dignity and it points to the fact that we are um, we are rational intellects. We are sovereign actors in charge of our own behavior. And when you do something that is wicked and evil, precisely in order to testify to your dignity as a human person, you need to be held to account to that. And if you do something like murder, rape, et cetera, et cetera, crimes against humanity, you know, injecting, injecting 5 billion people with, with a, known, a known poison sterilant, you know, just spitballing here, um, your dignity as a human person demands that you be held to account to that 
up to when including the death penalty. If you do something that merits execution, we humanity and society owes it to you, owes it to you as a human being to carry out that sentence and execute you. Because think about what, what the alternative is. And this is, this is the argument that's been made all along, is that uh, people are not responsible for what they do. And uh, not going to front here, not going to candy coat it, but this argument is particularly made with um, certain races of people. Well, they're, they're, not, they're not capable of controlling themselves, and so therefore, um, you know, you can't, you can't execute anybody because you know they're just they're, they're not they don't have the the ration the rational intellect or the or the the sovereignty as as a as an individual to be able to control themselves it's it's incredibly it's apply as it it's as it is applied it is intrinsically racist especially in the united states and it's just anti-human in general so this is it's dovetails right in with Bergoglio making this argument that um, you know sodomites can't control themselves, and I mean, and of course you say that to sodomites and they just eat that up. They absolutely eat that up. And this is a critique. There's something similar to this into that in that 1992 catechism, the JP2 catechism. The section on masturbation is <laughs> has a problem because it says. Um, engaging in self-abuse habitually reduces the culpability. Now, if you stop and think about that, what that seems to say is that the more, the more you engage in masturbation, the less guilty you are. So do it, do it more and it will, it will reduce your, your culpability. Uh, uh the, what? That's no, 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 no. Let's go back and let's look at the, the Catechism of, of Trent and see what it says about self-abuse. I promise you, it doesn't say do it more and you'll be less guilty because it's habitual. Um, so, and people, people just eat this up. I've got to imagine that's like somebody who, who, I don't know, somehow gets into the line of work of being a hitman. The first time you kill somebody, it's, it's difficult but the more you do it, you get desensitized to it. But it doesn't yep. change the fact, no matter how numb you get to it, every single act is an act of premeditated murder. It's a crime that calls out to heaven for vengeance, yep. whether you're numb to it or not. Yep, exactly. And it's the same thing with sodomy. Yep. The only difference is how much forethought you give it and how much, um, well, I guess you, you, you make the resolution to will to do it anyway. It's not like at any yeah. point you, you came to the conclusion it's okay. Yeah, these are these are not involuntary reflexive acts. You have to have a, a movement of the will and and the intellect to do these things. So yeah, that's again proof set number seventeen million eight hundred and twenty two thousand four hundred and thirty four that Bergoglio is not the vicar of Christ on earth. In fact, he isn't even Catholic. What is it going to take? At this point, I honestly think, I, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm being facetious here. I honestly think that the guy could commit, a, commit a horrible sexual act against a male child on the loggia of St. Peter's and 
and well, that you know, we've had bad popes before, or whatever it is that people say, you know, it's, oh, this is nothing new. This, this is, if you, if you think that this is, that this is a problem, then you're just a papolator. And see, we just need, to, we just need to get rid of the papacy because you know, people have this disordered idea of it. And it's like, oh my goodness, how far gone on both sides? How far gone is the whole situation? What, what does he have to do? What does he have to say? And, and then you even taking Bergoglio out of it. One of the reasons that, that we precisely need the authority of the Pope, the authority of the papacy, is because somebody, barring supernatural intervention, our Lord returning in glory, and or St. Peter and Paul in the sky over Rome with flaming swords, smiting, smiting the enemies of Jesus Christ and his holy church. Barring that, if we, humanity, if we're expected to grind through this and we have to work on the assumption that we are expected to grind through this and do the right things ourselves, um, of, of course, with the cooperation of the Holy Ghost and according to the divine providence, but that we are supposed to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and take care of this mess ourselves, it is precisely the authority of the papacy that you will need in order to purge the church of Luciferian scum like James Martin. It, you're going to need the Pope to suppress the Jesuits once and for all, permanently suppress the Jesuits. You're going to need the Pope to permanently su suppress the Legion of Christ, permanently. You're going to need the Pope to abolish the Novus Ordo. You're going to need the Pope to make a declaration that Vatican II was a failed council and re and re talk about the Great Reset and reset everything. It is the authority of the Pope that has to do these things. And you've got Trad Inc. arguing that, arguing against the papacy, arguing against the very thing that is the path forward and the release valve and the 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 breaking system against all of this and trads themselves are the ones who are tearing it down basically hand in glove whether th whether they realize it or not whether they admit it or not hand in glove with freemasonry well satan certainly has his plans for the pious and he's working on the trads as well but it also oh, yeah. doesn't doesn't help when you're not paying attention to all the details and watching everything yep indeed yeah, burying your head in the sand, not gonna get you out of this. There's, there's a few people who need to not be paying attention. And I'm thinking like contemplatives, <laughs> cloistered contemplatives. Okay, you can get away with not following what's going on and not keeping abreast of, of what's being said and done. Um, but that's not most people. Most people are, in fact, morally bound to be know, to know what's going on, to stay abreast of what's going on, and to act and speak out and, and act accordingly. You can't just blow this off and think that you're going to get through your particular judgment. You know, oh, well, you know, it's, it's Jesus's church. This is his to fix. Why, not only is that a complete cop-out, why would you pass out such an amazing opportunity? Non-Veni non Mark, he's, he is wonderful at, at talking about this and um, articulating this idea that what a blessing it is that we are here now in this time 
and we get to fight this war and we get to do this. It's incomprehensible um, how it is that the divine providence came up with the idea that you, me, us, that, that we're the ones for this, where the great saints of the 2000 year history of the church were literally begging God that they could be alive in these times and that they could be the ones in the church militant, on the ground, walking the earth while this is happening, that they could be the ones to fight this war on the ground. And most people are just absolutely willing to take that opportunity, that potential for, you know, advancing in sanctity and just refuse, categorically refuse to engage it, much less take advantage of it. What what a what a tragedy. What a tragedy. Well, you mentioned that it's incumbent on everyone to pay attention to what's going on. In terms of actual responsibility, you're incumbent to learn the faith mm-hmm. and to know the faith. And of course, if, if people took the time to actually do that, then simply looking around, you would see that what churchmen and, and uh, others are doing are not in line with the faith. So it's not so much paying attention to what's going on, but having that properly formed Catholic sense and having your yeah. conscience shaped correctly. And that comes from re- reading the scripture, reading the catechisms, reading uh, the the doctors and, and the fathers of the church, learning the faith and knowing that, that allows you to look around and, and see what the, be able to see instantly that what's going on isn't the faith. Also, staying in the state of grace, Father Z would say, go to confession, which is absolutely true. Stay, stay in the state of grace, avail yourself of the sacraments, um, because... If you're not in the state of grace, obviously you you can expect your intellect to be darkened and that you would not be able to accurately apprehend and process reality as it is right in front of you. That's that's a clear admonition in scripture about the risk of not just being um, not in a state of grace, but heaven, heaven forbid receiving the Eucharist in that state. You want to get real stupid real quick, or you want to lose your faith real quick. Um, yeah, receive the Eucharist in a state of unrepentant mortal sin, and you'll be you'll be a morally speaking, you'll be a drooling idiot quite quickly. Oh, that was the advice that was given to some some Catholics during the French Revolution, who were yep. who were unable to shake, shake their it. sense of the faith yeah. and 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 be able to freely blaspheme and really turn themselves over. The advice given to them was commit sin and make bad communions, and yeah. and they said you do that for a week and you'll you'll be you'll have Catholicism out of your blood. Yep, it was Voltaire, I think. I think that was Voltaire who said that. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. Yep, yep. Well, while still on the infernal topic of sodomy, Tucker Carlson had a quite interesting interview recently, and I'll let you go from there with us. Well, yeah, it dropped. What this? What day is this? This is <laughs> this today is, is Thursday. Thursday. This is Thursday. Um, I think it dropped Wednesday at midnight, Wednesday morning at twelve oh one or whatever on, on his on his Twitter channel as he's doing now. It's a twenty five, almost thirty minute, I think, full detailed sit down interview with. Larry Sinclair, there's a blast from the past. There's a name from the past. Um, talk about, you know, the living manifestation 
of where our Lord says in the Gospels that all will be revealed. Everything that's done in the shadows, eventually it will all be revealed and it will be shouted from the rooftops. That is happening as we speak. Now, I've had the Barnhart.biz blog since 2003. October of 2003 is when I acquired the domain and made my first um, front page, Microsoft front page website at Barnhart.biz. And it was for my brokerage business. And the primary function of that blog was that I was posting cattle and grain market updates and commentary. That's how it all started. But then, you know, I'm, I'm kind of funny and, and write, writing market comments in such a way as to be amusing and posting music and occasionally making comments about, you know, things going on in the world, not necessarily directly tied to the cattle and grain markets. So by the time 2008 rolls around, um, Barnhart.biz is being read by not only people in agriculture, but it's also being read by, you know, other people uh, on my side of the political spectrum, obviously, and, and also by people on the opposite side of the political spectrum who hated me. So I start writing essays and doing some investigative work, and then I realize, you know, I've got, a, I've got an audience here, so things that need to be publicized, so on and so forth, I feel that, hey, every little bit helps. If we can, if we can get, you know, information out, then we should do that. In 2008, um, this guy, Larry Sinclair, a sodomite, um, pops up, holds a press conference at the National Press Club, and details that in 1999, he smoked crack and engaged in sodomy with Barack Obama. Now you say, well, this guy's a sodomite, and he had, he had some convictions in the 80s for, I think, writing bad checks or something like that. Yes, this is true, and we have to take this in and you know process this, process all of this in the data set. However, he also had receipts, literal receipts, proving that he was where he said he was and, you know, that on some level he was not making the story up, that he, he went to a godson's graduation or something to do with, with, the, with the Navy or something like that. And he's in town, he's in Chicago, he's in town, he's, he's a sodomite and he uses drugs and he tells his limousine driver that remember this is 1999 that he's looking for drugs and sodomy and the limousine driver says like instantly oh i, I have a friend and he boop, 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 and he call he calls somebody and then he takes he takes larry sinclair to a bar he drops Larry Sinclair off at this bar and standing in front of the bar and the person that is introduced to Larry Sinclair by the limousine driver is Barack Obama. And he's introduced to him using his name, not hiding anything. At this, at this time, Barack Obama was, I think, in the state, in the state house of, um, of Illinois. He was a state representative. So Larry Sinclair meets Barack Obama. They get in the back of the limousine um or for, first they go and they buy they buy cocaine obama already has crack 
then long story short, they're in the back of the limousine. Obama flame, flames up his crack pipe, smokes crack. Um, Larry Sinclair uses cocaine, and then the two of them engage in sodomy. Then uh, they the 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 limousine driver drops Larry Sinclair off at his hotel with Obama still in the car, and then you know with the understanding we'll we'll see you to the driver. I'll see you tomorrow. Except the next morning, Barack Obama. Uh, knocks on Larry Sinclair, Larry Sinclair's door at this comfort inn that he's staying at um, in the suburbs of Chicago. And, you know, he, he wants round two. And so they do round two of crack, cocaine, and sodomy. Um, and then, you know, this, this was the equivalent of basically a grinder hookup because there was, there was nothing like these hookup apps in, in 99. It was just who you knew. It was all word of mouth and so forth. And so, of course, Larry Sinclair never sees him again until Larry Sinclair sees him on television delivering the, the keynote speech at the Democratic National Convention. And he's just like, you got to be kidding me. And then in 2007, when Obama is being, um, is being installed, basically, as the, as the putative fake president of the United States, um, Sinclair contacts the Obama um, campaign and says, look, I, I did, I did crack and cocaine with Obama in 1999 and not looking to blackmail anybody here, but there just, there needs to be some honesty about this saying that he had only smoked weed when he was an undergrad in Hawaii or when he was in high school in Hawaii or something like that. That's a lie. I, I did drugs with this guy in Chicago in 1999. He didn't even initially mention the sodomy. So then um, the, the gay organist at Jeremiah Wright's uh, church, you remember Jeremiah Wright, that United Church of Christ, that's the famous church that all of these politicians, that they all went to, and um, a lot of these men are sodomites, like Obama, Obama engaged in sodomy with the organist. You know, they were all, a lot of these guys in the black community, it's called being on the down low. When you're gay, but they're still, they still get married. Um, and what Jeremiah Wright would do is he would broker fake marriages for these sodomite men, black men, who hung around his church, but like Obama, had like political aspirations and needed to be seen in the community as being married to a woman. And so this is where we all start snickering and saying, uh, big Mike, Michelle, whatever. Um, all joking aside, I, I personally do not believe that Michelle Obama is actually a transsexual. I believe, and what the testimony has been since the earliest days is that Jeremiah Wright brokered the marriage between Michelle Robinson and Barack Obama, because what, what Jeremiah Wright would do is he would take these just absolutely unmarriageable women, like Michelle Obama. I mean, she's hideous. She's absolutely hideous, both, both physically, but more especially in her, in her attitude and her way of being. These women are unmarriageable, 
but they're the kind that could be married off to these sodomite men brokered into these marriages and then you know like the clintons you know it was all all it's all about appearances and you know a mutual agreement that we're going to enter into this sham but you know we're going to we're going to attempt to become billionaires and you know achieve the highest levels of political power on the world stage that's exactly what happened with Barack Obama and and Michelle Robinson Obama um there's also been and we'll put this in the show notes and I need to make a separate post on this too I need to I've got a list as long as my arm of things that I need to do there's been an essay posted recently by a liberal by a liberal journalist and he just very casually mentions that oh by the way um one of Barack Obama's uh ex-girlfriends that he had I think when he was at Columbia in New York or maybe it maybe it was already when he was in Chicago anyway this guy has letters in which Obama is writing to this girl and talking about his Obama's homosexuality and that ha I believe one of the quotes is I make love to men in my mind every day um it's 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 a clear open acknowledgement of Obama's homosexuality so back to 2008 the barnhart.biz blog we there there's a group of us myself um uh, Mr. Big Fur Hat at um, I Own the World Report, IOTW Report, back back in that, those days, it was just called I Own the World. Um, kind of us, there was a group of just little bloggers that were, that were, you know, getting a little bit of attraction by publishing these stories because nobody else would. I personally looked at the Larry Sinclair situation. I looked at his national press conference, uh, national uh, press club news conference. He seemed very credible. The fact that he actually was able to produce credit card receipts, proving that he was he was at that Comfort Inn hotel on that such day, and that he was at that bar. I believe he had a credit card receipt for the bar where he and and Obama initially met. I mean, he was able to to really prove this stuff. His story has not changed one iota in the what's it been now? 15 over 15 years that he's been trying to say, look, I had a I had a hookup with Barack Obama in 1999. Um, and now, you know, it's oh, conspiracy theory and this is ridiculous and this is calumny and da 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 da. Well, you know, now Tucker, who I put not my trust in in men at all, and I know that Tucker is uh, ex-CIA, and I believe his, his father is also CIA. I keep that in the back of my mind. But something's going on because Tucker, now liberated and on Twitter, has a almost half-hour sit-down interview with Larry Sinclair. And if you haven't watched it, um, the last time I saw, I think it had 22 million views or something, and hopefully it's just getting warmed up. Hopefully it goes well over 100 million views. Um, Sinclair is obviously a flaming sodomite, but if you sit and listen to the guy, you can't help but think it sure seems like this guy is telling the truth about this. Um, it's horrible, and he's unrepentant of it, and he's unrepentant of being a sodomite, uh, but what he is saying about what happened with him and Barack Obama 
certainly seems seems to be true. Now, consider this. Do you think Tucker Carlson hasn't done the due diligence and the background check and he's seen all of the credit card receipts? And I oh, I believe uh, I believe that Sinclair was also able to produce um, cell phone records proving, you know, telephone calls between him, the limo driver, et cetera, et cetera. Um, do you think Tucker Carlson hasn't done his due diligence? Do you think Tucker Carlson is just going to walk into something like this and expose himself to a potential lawsuit from Obama? I think at, at this point, he's probably hoping that Obama does try to sue them so that he can get him into discovery. Um, wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be a fun deposition to have? So, you know, Tucker's not messing around. And the fact that now that this is all being openly discussed on what is right now the largest platform, one of the largest platforms in the world right now is Tucker Carlson's little Twitter channel. Um, amazingly, the fact that this is now being openly discussed is um, it's, it's vindicating. Um, it's a great big, huge told you so. And it speaks to the fact that we need to be patient and we need to hold the line and trust that when, when the divine providence wants these things to come out, that just as our Lord said, everything that is done in the shadows will eventually be screamed from the rooftops. And boy, oh boy, having a 30-minute sit-down with Tucker Carlson on his Twitter channel is about as screaming it from the rooftops as you can get in the 2023 um, so now this is what I would say to Tucker Carlson or anyone else who's listening. In At the same time, a bunch of us were also doing pretty heavy lifting work on the Obama birth certificate, which is clearly, clearly fake. The person who did the best work on this is actually Carl Denninger over at market-ticker.org, market-ticker.org. Um, Denninger, Denninger tore that fake birth certificate apart 12 ways from Sunday. I mean, just nailed it to the wall. This is 100% fake. I knew it was 100% fake. I went to the White House website, downloaded, they posted it on the White House website. You could just right click and, and save the file. I don't know whether someone did it intentionally or if it was gross incompetence, but whenever you were, you know, back in those days when you were manipulating and kind of photo photoshopping or the program that I always use was Microsoft Publisher, but I suppose I think that this the the fake birth certificate that Obama released was probably done in in the Adobe suite or something like that. But there was a process that you went through a called layers there were whenever you have an image you can peel it apart in layers so that you can manipulate and the more the more you peel it apart the more you can move things around and manipulate things even down to the point where you can you can tear something apart so hard that you can move individual letters around and that was done in that in that fake birth certificate um, so you, even I, you, you right click, you download, you open the fake birth certificate that is posted um, on the White House website. And if you opened it, I believe if you opened it in Adobe, that <laughs> the layers had not been recompressed in together. So the person who had, who had made it, who had photoshopped it, never recompressed the layers so that it was just one, one smooth layer of an image. 
that it was still completely deconstructed. So you could see that that the um, the signature was forged because half of the signature was was one uh, graphics component and the other half of the signature was a completely different graphics component. Um, you could see that the the typewriter typeface, it kept changing. In fact, you could see within individual words, if you looked, and one of the keys when you're looking at old typewriters to tell the difference between one typewriter and another is look at the letter A, lowercase a. Um, there are so many different fonts and you could, it's almost like a fingerprint of how different the letter A is from typewriter to typewriter. There were instances in that birth certificate where letter A's within the same word were, were clearly of a different font, typewriter, and so forth. So the notion that someone, you know, was was typing up this birth certificate in 1960, whatever year he was born, 63 or whatever it was, and switching typewriters within the same word. And, you know, things like this, it's just, it's, it was absolutely proven that the whole thing was photoshopped. And again, I would refer you, refer you to marketticker.org. I don't know if Denninger has all that stuff still up, but hopefully now that someone like Tucker is now talking openly about the Larry Sinclair and that we have just objective evidence of, of Obama's homosexuality. Next, okay, next, now do, now do the birth certificate. Let's go back and look at that. And let's prove that whatever it is, wherever this guy was born, that document that they released in 2008 is not, is not uh, the Hawaii birth certificate from when he was born. Another person who's actually a trad Catholic who has done tremendous work on this and all of Obama's origin story and how fake it all is, is Jack Cashill, C-A-S-H-I-L-L. He's the one who deconstructed Obama's book, um, Dreams from My Father, and said, oh, no, this was written by um, Bill Ayers. This is clearly written by Bill Ayers. There's entire swaths of this thing that, that just, that are almost plagiarized from other Bill Ayers um, uh, letters, documents, writings, so on and so forth. This is clearly Bill Ayers who wrote this. Yeah, the title of that book is called Dreams of My Real Father. And I was waiting for a moment to jump in there when it comes to the birth certificate. Yeah. Part of me wonders if, if they actually did that very purposely to to mm -hmm. make uh, controversy swirl around Hawaii and Barack Hussein Obama because uh, Obama's actual birth certificate would have been would have had him born in Seattle, Washington, with um, Frank Marshall Davis as his father. Yeah, yeah. He does not it's, look it, anything it, like um, Barack Hussein Obama Barack senior. Obama senior. He yeah, does look exactly. exactly like Frank Marshall Davis. Yeah. Yep. Um, so he's, he's clearly, if you look at his maternal grandfather, um, Stanley Dunham, uh, he, he clearly is, he is Ann Dunham's child because he's a, he's a dead ringer for Stanley Dunham. But then you can tell that the, the black half of him is almost certainly Frank Marshall Davis. And again, there's evidence that his mother was in a sexual relationship 
as as a teenager in high school with with Frank Marshall Davis, who was a who was a bisexual pornographer and communist and CIA. Um, it's just okay, Tucker. You okay? You you've done you've done Larry Sinclair. Pretty much everybody knows now that Obama is in fact a homosexual, and we haven't been making this up. And a crack smoker. Um, now do the birth certificate. Now do the birth certificate. This is why I say the history, it will go down on the historical record. I'm absolutely convinced that the United States ceased to exist with the usurpation of Obama because the guy is not who he says he is. Um, he was adopted by Lolo Satoro. He was an Indonesian national because when you're adopted by an Indonesian, by definition, that eliminates the, the other citizenship. He was an Indonesian national. None of that was ever repaired. Um, the guy didn't, ha when, when Obama was first elected to, um, to the Senate, when he first moved to Washington, D.C., he didn't have a U.S. passport. And he just sailed right through. And what that points to directly is that the whole Obama thing has been a CIA operation from the beginning. And again, now we can talk about these things because now finally the corruption of the intelligence agencies um, is, is now coming to light. And people will say, well, yeah, these, these are wildly corrupt evil organizations. And people are, and JFK, uh, RFK Jr. is openly talking about the fact that the CIA murdered JFK and that probably they murdered his father as well. And, you know, this is, people are all like, yeah, that's, that's probably true. The CIA probably did murder JFK. It's kind of an understood thing, even among normies now. Now the next step is look at the CIA with regards to the whole Barack Obama um, elevation, installation, um, the fact that, that Obama was educated in Moscow at the P Patrice Lumumba University, which was just basically a, a communist spy training ground. And it's just, it's absolutely astounding. And l let's go, let's do this. And, but it makes me wonder, okay, what's in play here? Because and even, even Larry Sinclair, the sodomite, remarks during, during this interview with Tucker Carlson that, well, he says, well, I think it's pretty clear that Barack Obama is actually the one calling the shots it's because it's clearly not Joe Biden. Joe Biden isn't, isn't Joe Biden can't, can't keep his, uh, can't control his bowels, you know, he can't, he struggles to walk, he struggles to speak. Um, who, who's running things? Who's calling the shots? Sinclair says, well, I think it's pretty clear that Obama is. I think it's even, even beyond that. I don't, I don't even think it's Obama. I think Obama is also just an imbecile, an imbecile plant. I think it's, you know, the Valerie Jarrett's, the Samantha Powers, um, those people who are surround, who surrounded and were actually running the White House when Obama was not in the Oval Office. He was in the uh, private lounge office directly above the Oval Office, watching, locked in there all day, every day with Reggie Love, who is, who is a Duke basketball player and a homosexual. And it was, it's understood that the two of them were sodomitical partners. 
and um, locked up in there watching ESPN all day, doing doing drugs and engaging in sodomy with Reggie Love. He wasn't, he, I don't think Obama was directing policy or anything like that. The people who were running the country are, you know, Valerie Jarrett and Samantha Power, you know, so let, let's go. With the approval of the CIA, though, and don't forget, I mean, you mentioned Lolo Sotero. He was he was hired by the CIA on many occasions for for running out death squads in Southeast Asia. He was a contractor for the CIA. And I, I know I mentioned this on a previous podcast that there are photos still in existence of George Herbert Walker Bush on a golf course with Lolo Sotero with with George Bush's arm around a young Barry Sotero. And that mm-hmm. there's more than enough evidence, uh, whether it's circumstantial or not, to say that the missing Columbia years with, with uh, Obama, yeah, these are explained because he was in Pakistan running guns for the CIA. He's yeah. a CIA operator himself. He's part of the Bush-Clinton uh, CIA connection. I mean, Clinton got in because he was, as, as Attorney General and then Governor of um, Arkansas, was covering up the CIA drug trade through MENA. Yes. So he, he was an ally of, of, of George H.W. Bush there. So Clinton taking over after Bush, it was just continuation of the same thing. Um, there, there, there may be the appearance of left and right change, but really it's the CIA power players who are still doing things all, all the way through. And then uh, Bush Jr., there's no difference there. Obama for two more terms. Yeah. The change came when Trump came in because that was the end of the, the um, George H.W. Bush line of, of CIA control. Well, what's yeah. going on now, this is one of the theories that was raised on um, No Agenda Day going over this, is, and, and you mentioned Tucker Carlson, there are CIA connections there. What's the message being sent here? The message is to Obama, back off and let Biden be replaced on the ticket. Don't try to prop this clown up anymore. He's not with good. Wh- with whom? Gavin Newsom or... I don't know who the, who the who the replacement is at this point in time, but the theory being that if it is a Trump-Biden race again, Trump is going to wipe the floor with him. Mm-hmm. Too many people who voted for Biden won't vote for him again. They're not going to be able to rig enough votes to make it work. People, there's not going to be lockdowns for COVID again. They, they, they can try to force mail-in ballots all they want, but that, that Biden is, is a no-go. It's, it's just not going to work. So the idea being they need to get somebody else who is not as disgusting as Trump to basically stand and say, hey, I'm a nicer alternative and basically shut up. Because last time around, Trump, um, when I'm, no, Biden basically sat in his basement and did nothing and just let yeah. the whole story be about Trump. And the whole yeah. whole election was a referendum on him. Just like in 2016, the whole election was really a referendum on Hillary. Do you referendum want that Hillary, hag as president exactly. or not? And so yeah. in, in, in 2020, the answer was, well, <laughs> it was cast as being that uh, we decided, no, we don't want Trump. Uh, the reality may be different. I don't know. I didn't count the votes. Um, it, but in 2024, if the referendum is about Biden, it's going to be it's going to be a loss for the Democrats, and it's going to be a big loss. So, I, I, what the one theory is that they want Biden out of the way, and the message here, because this this is twice now recently, that there's been something very negative coming out about Obama. It's back off, Barry. Um, mm-hmm. Let your boy go. He needs to be replaced. You don't get to you don't get to play puppet master anymore. At least not right now. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's not going to be a big mic in 2024. Guarantee you that. Yeah. Another interesting yeah. thing, too, listening to No Agenda. So this interview with Larry Sinclair drops a couple of days ago. Uh, Dateline, Monday, November 14th, 2011. Ex-Obama lover Larry Sinclair mowed down by hit-and-run driver. 
I'm like, really? what? I didn't know that. <laughs> Turns out that wasn't a true story. He no. actually ran, Larry Sinclair ran for mayor of Cocoa, Florida in uh, 2018. So he was very much alive. Um, yeah. Either that or somebody's replaced him for some reason. And I don't know. What's the connection to no, Larry well, Sinclair? That's him. If you, if, you look at, if you look at the Tucker video, it's, it's clearly Sinclair and all of his in all of his flaming presence. Yeah. I just thought that was quite interesting that there were widespread rumors of his death in 2011. And then he keeps showing up at other places and there's a fact check website saying, no, Larry Sinclair is alive. So very yeah. weird. But very weird. He, he needs, he needs to watch himself because, um, Obama and they, they talk about this at length in the Tucker Carlson interview. Um, the organist, at the Jeremiah Wright Church contacted Sinclair um, and said he was calling him on behalf of the campaign and was basically mining him for information. What do you know? What do you know? And um, I believe his name was Donald Glover, the organist, I think. I think. Not Donald Glover. Uh, Don I thought it was Young. Donald, Donald Young. Donald Young. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think Donald Glover is an actor or something. Donald, Donald Young. And then Donald Young told Larry Sinclair, well, I've been involved for years in a relationship with Obama as well, which he had. Very shortly after this, Donald Young was executed, executed, um, you know, two to the back of the head with, they believe, a, a silencer. Because yeah, nobody, nobody in the apartment heard any gunshots, even though they heard them all from outside the, the building whenever there's gunshots exactly. in Chicago, which is, again, that's... a Gunshots in Chicago is like uh, Bergoglio vomiting heresy. I mean, it, it's exactly it's it's a day that ends in Y all day, every day. Yep, exactly. So Donald Young was murdered. And there's another there's another black man in Chicago that was also murdered. I need to get back into my archives and see who it is. There's two of them that the Obama campaign, CIA, whatever you want to call it, two of those men were murdered. Um, and Donald Young's mother knows that he was murdered and knows that he was murdered because he was in a sodomitical, long-term sodomitical relationship with Obama. So, I mean, we're talking about serious stuff here. And, you know, at this point, the, they're so bold that I, I don't see why they wouldn't just openly kill Larry Sinclair and then just say, prove it. Oh, they would just give him COVID and then he would die of, of a comorbidity. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, and the other thing too, I was just thinking about if it, instead of, if it wasn't Larry Sinclair, if it was Loretta Sinclair spilling the beans on Hillary, she, she uh, this person would have been dead a long time ago. And yeah. as close as it gets here is that, um, is that Obama was tied in with the Resco organization in, in Chicago, same as Hillary. So there, there may have been some shared resources there. But I don't know, just, you know, in terms of how is this guy still alive? I guess he's not a threat. He's not considered um, believable. Yeah, they, up until now, being literally the only kind of blogs that were covering Larry Sinclair were blogs like mine. I mean, like, it, it, in the big scheme of things, just micro, micro blogs. But now you've got Tucker, and I don't know, let me pull up, let me see if I can... Um, see how many views as we're recording this uh this thing has on tucker's channel full interview with president bugger larry sinclair pulling it up and we are at 29.2 million views and counting 
So we'll put it in the show notes just in case there's anybody in the readership or listener listenership that hasn't watched this thing. But I mean, he it never get it never gets graphic, super duper graphic. I mean, it's obviously they're talking about sodomy, but um, Sinclair isn't he he isn't salacious about it. He's just very matter of fact and. Um, so, I mean, obviously I wouldn't have the six-year-olds sitting in the room while you're listening to this, but, but at the same time, it's not like it's going to, at this point with all of the sodomy in the, in the culture in the world today, I don't think it's going to be shocking to pious ears to hear, you know, refer references to, to sodomy. So yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Well, when speaking about sodomy, which the last two topics have been, that obviously brings to mind fire and and uh, destruction. And since we've been talking about Hawaii, I think we've got like a double lead in for this next one. Um, there was a, it's not the, the most recent news at this point, but obviously the big fire in Hawaii. Um, not a lot has been mentioned that this is, uh, a lot of this happened in, in, was it Lahaina is how it's pronounced? This this was yeah. like the seat of the pagan Hawaiian kingdom. And, and uh it's interesting that the fire took place there. Yes, it, the the developers wanted to buy all the land and whatnot, but you had a specific thing you wanted to talk about the the, the demon worshiping that still is rampant in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, I think we've talked about this before, but um, just looking at Hawaii as an example, um, maybe a lot of people who haven't been to Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii, but um, if you look at modern Hawaiian culture. Um, First of all, Hawaiians are very racist. They despise whites, even though, you know, their economy is slightly dependent upon on tourism, on, you know, non-Hawaiian tourism. They're extremely racist. And a lot of them still very, very, very much subscribe to the the pagan demon worshiping religion that's that's been there on those islands, you know, for centuries since since, uh, you know, they were settled by Polynesians. Um, they worship volcanoes as gods. They worship water as a god. I mean, they're, they're, they have this animist, uh, animist system. And, but remember what it says in the Psalms, the gods of the Gentiles are all demons. And it's clear that they're demons because, for example, in 2018, when um, uh, Kilauea, is it Kilauea or what is it? There's Kilauea, Mauna Loa, and Mauna Kea. So it's Kilauea. Kilauea on the Big Island, on the southeast side of the Big Island, was, you know, the literally the earth cracked open in the middle of this subdivision, <laughs> right in the middle of a subdivision. And, you know, new volcano, new vents, I mean, enormous rivers of lava coming out. And you, you would, there would be uh, clips of there being, um, having public meetings and these native Hawaiian people would show up at these meetings and be like getting loud and threatening and saying, you cannot do anything to help these people get their possessions out to do anything to try to put up barriers you know there was thoughts that you could come in with caterpillars and build ginormous earthen dams to just kind of try to steer the the lava away from from you know subdivisions and so forth to, to try to mitigate the damage and so forth 
these Hawaiians are absolutely insane in this demon worshiping thing. They're, they're standing there literally talking about the name of this demon goddess who is, is the spirit of this volcano. And she is reclaiming what is hers. This is a sacrifice to her. You may not do anything to get anything out of the way or to prevent any damage because she is reclaiming her sacrifice, which she is entitled to. And if you attempt to do anything, we're, we're going to get rowdy and there's going to be trouble. And these people are completely serious. And you just, you just sit and look at this. And now we have these fires almost, almost certainly intentionally set almost certainly. Um, I, I disagree. Yeah. And, say again. I disagree. Go ahead. Hawaii Explain. Power spent all of their money over the last 10 years trying to do green energy initiatives. They continued postponing all maintenance on, on the lines. They, uh, this combined with uh, not clearing all the underbrush like they're supposed to do, specifically yeah. to, to deal with fires. You get an abnormal situation where a, a hurricane hundreds of miles away causes a freak set of wind gusts here mm -hmm. and, and uh, the, the hurricane force winds knocks down the lines. The lines are still alive, arcing and sparking all over the place. Fire is set off. And of course, you know, at that point in time, fire on the ground, good conditions for it. They hadn't had a ton of rain, um, wind driven fire. It actually had been put out at one point and then reflashed the, there, there was something also, I, I don't know all the details on this because I didn't go into all the, the depth on it. I heard, heard a few things about, uh, the fire department being vectored away and not, not putting out fire. Yeah. And, it ended up wiping out huge parts of Lahaina. I mentioned the uh, the original the wa but the water. They they th there's there's video of a Hawaiian um, official saying that you know the water goddess we're abusing the water goddess and so water is to be revered and worshipped and it's not for a, it's not to be used by us. They wouldn't give them any water. And again, in service, in sacrifice to a demon that they worship, these Hawaiians worship. But, and I also, the other thing that's very sketchy about all this is that, I mean, it's a, it's a who's who. It is Bill Gates. There's a Four Seasons Hotel owned by Bill Gates, Oprah Winfrey, Gwyneth Paltrow. You go down the list of every moral degenerate Hollywood person, and they've got a house sitting right there in this Lahaina district. Interestingly, the fire didn't burn down any of those places, and none of those people have said a word about this. Not one word. I've never seen Oprah say anything in support of Hawaii or anything like that. Nothing. Not a word. Or call out and, at, or call out and say, what happened to the 2,000 kids who are missing from the school rules? School who, rules right where, now. where are the 2,000 kids that are missing from the schools? Um, and given the list of perverts hmm. on that island, I don't think they all burned up. Uh, I, it would not surprise me one bit. Why did this, why did this middle and lower middle class area why did that burn but everything where all of these billionaires live is untouched and nobody's saying a word about any of this and they wouldn't let the people out i posted the video of the of the mother and the two sons who ended who ended up having to literally go run and go stand you know up to their chins in this in the ocean to avoid burning to death 
because the the cops had blocked the roads so that these people couldn't escape. I mean, it's just it's 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 absolutely unthinkable. And again, the the big point of this of this topic is is the need to proselytize and convert pagans. And I when I say that, I mean absolutely everybody on this planet. Everybody on this planet needs to be proselytized and needs to be converted. That is the Great Commission. That's the entire point. If you don't believe that that's true, if you think that the world is better off with a diversity of religions and that the cultural tapestry is richer when there are multiple religions and that we should not, oh, how dare we? How dare we go in and think that we should be converting people and that there should be, you know, a, a homogeneity and that all people all over the world everywhere the goal should be that everybody be Catholic. Oh, that's terrible. What a horrible thought. What, 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 do, what exactly do you believe? When you say the creed at Mass on Sunday, do you believe it? Do you believe those words? Why in the world would you think that it is the morally correct, loving, charitable thing to leave people wallowing in demon worship, in uncivilization? Should, should we be colonizing? Of course we should be colonizing. We are called to be colonizers. That is, that is what we are supposed to do. Theologically we speaking, yes. Say again? Theologically speaking, yes. And one Theologically of the, speaking, yeah. One of the areas to start with is to make headline news throughout the islands and especially to the Hawaiians, these pagans, saying, hey, your fire goddess who turned most of Lahaina to ash. There's, there's a photo I'm looking at here, and I'll put the, the link to this in the show notes. Um, the, the Catholic Church, Maria Lanaquila, which is the local way of saying Our Lady of Victory. Our Lady of Victory. Right yeah. across the street, it is burned to ash. The trees mm -hmm. on the property of, of this chapel, not singed at all. The Catholic Church yep. is not bothered at all. And this is actually the church in the area that hosts the Latin Mass from time to time as well. It's like, exactly. hey, pagans, do you wanna do you wanna look at what your your fire goddess couldn't touch because mm -hmm. our our great woman protected it? Exactly. And so you you look at it, I mean it's just it's not just Hawaii, it's everywhere. Oh, the people in the Amazon, these uncontacted tribes, the people on that uh, sentinel island off the coast of India who have never been contacted, these people running around naked in the bush, and isn't this wonderful, and what a tragedy it would be if, if we went in there and, and converted them to Christianity and, and taught them to wear clothes. Yeah, that's exactly what we need to do because it is beneath human dignity for people to be a running around worshiping demons as the gods of the gentiles all are they're all demons furthermore yes we should want to go into the amazon go through it with a fine tooth comb find every single one of these people convert them to the one true church and the one true faith and then teach them how to be civilized human beings how to wear clothes how to engage in monogamous relationships and marriage and so on and so forth it is 
it, the fact that we treat these people like animals in a zoo that we can that we can look in and observe and oh look at these people running around naked and isn't that interesting it's not interesting it's a tragedy it's an absolute tragedy to leave people in that state so yes in the you know 15th, 16th century, when the big expansion was going on into North America, down into Africa, into India, so on and so forth. Yes, we bring as as Christianity, and this is this has nothing to do with race, it has to do with the one true faith, which is universal. That's why it's called Catholic. It means on the whole, universal. It's for everybody. And what that does is it elevates the dignity of humanity so desperately fallen. I mean, it, it's you look at the effects of original sin, and if you want to see the absolute bottom of the bottom, lowest of the low, what humanity can descend into, you look at the people of Papua New Guinea who are legit cannibals. You look at the people on that island south of, of India who will murder and eat anyone who dares step foot on that island. And they're all running around naked and some of them are wearing gourds on their, on their male members and ridiculous things like that. In the Amazon, in those tribes, it's said that you can't, um, a man cannot leave his wife unattended for even 15 minutes, because if he does, the rest of the men will take that as meaning that she's fair game, and they will literally gang rape her to death. To death. Are you telling me that you honestly believe that we're supposed to leave those people in that state of, of absolute degradation as a result of the fall and original sin? Humanity just scraping the bottom of the barrel. This just dancing the razor's edge from losing the dignity of being rational intellects, which they couldn't do, but getting as close as you can get to losing the dignity of being a rational intellect and just being a damn animal. Do you think that that is what we're supposed to do? What, so we can be amused? So we can be amused as if we're going to a zoo. That, that is what we're talking about. We need to get into and, you know, after the triumph of the Immaculate Heart or whatever happens, happens. Yes, if the world keeps spinning, then what's going to happen is that we are going to go to the four corners of the world and we are going to convert everybody and we are going to civilize everybody. And we're going to get everybody wearing clothes and we're going to get everybody in um, in one-on-one -on -one marriages that uh that are indissoluble and and last for life and so on and so forth we are going to elevate these people in keeping with their dignity as human beings leaving them to this to this bizarre suicidal uh making making human sacrifices to demons i mean the hawaiians have been civilized to the extent that they they obviously wear clothes but there's a faction of them there's a faction of them that literally if they could they would return to running around naked if they could do it just just to prove some point i guess some 
because when you get to where you're in that state, um, self-degradation becomes, becomes a fetish. And so, yeah, there absolutely are people who would like to degrade themselves, reject Christian civilization, um, and reject, reject human dignity and go back in and wallow into exactly what those demons want, which is this self-loathing, um, completely degenerated state of being. Um, and yes, if you, if you are not desirous of the entire world being converted and civilized to Christian civilization, you need to sit down in stillness and ask yourself exactly what it is that you actually believe. Amen. Nice. I was expecting you to go on for a little more there, but <laughs> I have nothing else in my notes for tonight. Um, although I do wish we had something a slightly more uplifting to end on. Do you have anything in your notes? Are there any, or do we have any, uh, tiny testimonies or? No, not this time. We haven't gotten any for a little while. Okay. I guess I can just go into the wrap up anyway then. Sure. Alrighty. The email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or good news items for wrapping up the podcast. Haven't gotten any of those yet. Um, you know, the podcast, the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to her benefactors at least one mass every single day. That's a traditional Catholic uh, mass, as said, for all the benefactors. And once a week, there is a traditional Catholic Latin requiem mass for everybody who died the previous week, whether it's Jimmy Buffett from skin cancer or Bob Barker from Alzheimer's or anybody and everybody else, a mass was said for them. Please pray for the priests. And in my notes, it says Ray for the priest. So um, whether the priests are named Ray or not, pray for them. Yeah. Let me correct that real quick. Maybe it's who Ray for the priest, yes. <laughs> no, it's please pray for the priest. And I mistyped it because I'm a programmer and this doesn't compile. So it didn't throw an error. Yeah. <laughs> um, not, only, not only for the priests who are offering the benefactor's mass, benefactor masses, but all the priests. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it last time or in talking to priests uh, recently, the the assault that they're under to question whether anything they're doing is making any effort. Um, the, the pressure on them to leave the priesthood to wonder if any of this is actually getting through to all the pagans in the developed civilized world. I mean, just look at what's going on around you. And, and I, I can, I can see the, the sorrow of the priest saying, well, is, is this even reaching anybody? Is this doing anything? Pray for them. Let them know you're praying for them. Thank them for continuing to be priests, even if they're questioning whether or not anything's happening at the moment. And there are priests out there having crises of faith. I mean, they, let, let's be real about this. Uh, yeah. They they're in a hard situation. So please, this is this is a team effort. Um, our salvation is an individual decision, but it's a team effort. So don't forget mm-hmm. to pray for the priests. Uh, Mention that we have a podcast patron. We call in the patronage of Saint Tiny Princess here at the Barnhart Podcast. If you've never heard of her, she was my daughter born five years ago or so. Who She had a, a severe genetic condition, was baptized and confirmed within the first couple days of her life. She spread her warmth and joy among us for just under a year, and now she sees God face to face for all eternity. And so don't don't uh, neglect calling her. And every once in a while, we get some stories of, of people saying that they called on St. Tiny Princess and got an unexpected or favorable reply. But uh, none of those this week, maybe next week. The Barnhart Podcast is a value for value podcast. If you got some value out of this episode, whether it's entertainment, education, um, we didn't have any preparation advice in this one. Uh, probably the next one when Super Nerd or when Super Nerd when Nurse Claire is on. Um, we I know we're we're collecting notes for preparation for fall, 
And I've been doing my active research on it. I didn't mean to, but um, everything I mentioned earlier that I was taking, that's right off the FLCC list of stuff you should be taking when you've got like an active, uh, I mean, it was, it was kind of on like the COVID RSV and flu list. But since I wasn't getting over it, it's like, okay, give me everything on the list and, and I'll just go you know, take it all. And there, there's gonna be more links. We're gonna have a, a discussion in more depth about that uh, in a future podcast. But if you got some value out of this and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com and, and there you can see all the projects that this is uh, helping to support and pay for. And also you'll see the options there on how to donate and via the mailbox. Um, I think Steady Steven sent something since the last time. Um, if he didn't, then it's probably coming in the next few days, but I've got a mess on my desk right now and it might be on the bottom of it. So uh, I'm sorry, I, I couldn't find it. But I did find something from Rick of Rick James fame. So uh, last show, James had sent, sent something. This time it's Rick. Um, if we hit the cadence just right, maybe they both come in next week we'll, or ne next show. We'll see. We'll see. And then via the web, uh, Paul asks, how do I make this a monthly recurring donation? And uh, I had to do some research on that. And right now, when you make the online uh, donation, which you can use with a credit card, Apple Pay, Google Pay, blah, 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 all those electronic things, you uh, you can fill in whatever donation amount you want, whether it's $5, $33, or whatever makes you happy. Uh, you can put that in. However, to make a monthly recurring donation, it has to be set to a, a specific amount. So, Paul, I'm going to be emailing you back. And now that I'm saying this on a podcast, I'm going to wait till after I publish this. Um, but I'm going to be emailing you back saying, how much do you want to make the monthly uh, recurring uh, donation for? And I'll set that up so you can specifically do that. Um, I, I don't want to go set up. 50 or 60 of those or, or four or five of them and, and, and just, and, and, and still have people say, Hey, but I want to donate $11 and 12 cents a month or something like that. I, I don't know. It, just let me know and, and I'll set something up for you and you can click the link and do it. Also the international donor is, is back and it says, appreciate as always the latest podcast, which was, I'm sorry, uh, which though was without show notes was so on point and immensely valued. Wait, oh, we publish show notes for everything. Yeah. I'm not sure what she meant by that. Oh, well. And then also, Michael, I uh, got your donation via the web as well. Uh, nothing via podcasting 2.0, and that's just fine with me. And I will send this over now to Anne for Matthew 1720, not 12. Not 12. <laughs> uh, pray every day without ceasing. Fast twice a week if you can for our fourfold intention that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as an anti-pope and that the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope from April of 2005 until his death on December 31st of 2022, and for the Petrine Sea in and of itself, that it be filled according to God's will. Um, and yes, it absolutely does matter. It, just because Pope Benedict is dead doesn't mean, oh, it doesn't matter anymore whether or not you know, whether he resigned validly or not, it absolutely 1000% matters. The truth matters, because if not, you're operating from a false based premise, and you have people saying, well, Pope Francis said, rah, rah, rah. well, he didn't lose his office until this and such a time. No, he's he's never had the office. He's never been the Pope. He never will be the Pope. You have to be Catholic to be the Pope, but he's not. he was never the Pope because Pope Benedict never validly resigned. The whole thing has been a Luciferian plot and farce from the very, very beginning. Um, that Bergoglio repent, 
revert to Catholicism, die in the state of grace in the fullness of time. We're not gunning for anybody to die. Um, in fact, Bergoglio needs all the time that he can that he can get because he has he has some of the greatest crimes in the 2000 year history of the church on his soul and he needs to repent and do as much penance for that as he possibly can before he dies so we're not we're not praying to hasten anybody's death we're praying for his reversion that he um so that bergoglio repent revert to catholicism die in the state of grace in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision obviously that's what we pray for everyone and the final the fourth intention of course is for the repose of the soul of pope benedict ratzinger um our lady of copacabana slayer of the unmentionable demon uh from south america that was installed in the vatican by the anti-pope and the forces of the anti-church pray for us Absolutely. Pray for us. And speaking of Our Lady, uh, it's all it's way past sunset here. So liturgically, it is tomorrow. Happy birthday to the Blessed Virgin Mary. I hope I can get this show out tomorrow. But honestly, it's probably going to be Saturday, if not Monday, because it, there was a very busy weekend on tap. So uh, as soon as I can get that out, I will get it out. But um, until next time, I'm Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. number 17,822,434